The Manage Smarter Show is brought to you by SalesCred, the sales skill building solution that empowers sales teams worldwide to multiply sales opportunities by improving perception, accelerating trust building, and by earning repeat business. Get the best-selling book by C. Lee Smith, download the free mobile app, and now sign up for the SalesCred Masterclasses. Book your session now at salescred.com. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter Podcast. High performance, high performance. You hear those terms, you know, oh, I'm a high performer. What does that really mean? And you know, there's actually brain-proven performance science Define what that is and tell you how to get it. That's what we're going to talk about today, Lee. Yeah, and the number one uh, objective of a manager of any sort really is to create high-performing teams. All right, so it is about hiring the right people, developing them the right way, and motivating them and and, and to engage them uh, so that, and it also to help them work and play well together with others so that you have a high-performing team. So the idea of high-performance as it relates to not only the body, but also the mind, is something I'm really excited to, to, uh, to learn more about today. I am too, everybody. Welcome to Manage Smarter. I'm Audrey Strong, Vice President of Communications here at SalesFuel. And I'm C. Lee Smith. I'm the CEO and founder of SalesFuel. And our guest today, it isn't hyperbole to say high performance with her because she has the definition of what that is and how to get it. It's Dr. Carla Fowler, an MD, PhD, an elite executive coach, and for the last 10 years, been a secret weapon for scores of CEOs, entrepreneurs, and other senior leaders. Carla's unique approach combines the latest research from performance science with timeless best practices to help top performers level up and achieve their goals. She's founder of a company called Thaxa.com. T-H-A-X-A is how you spell that. And the website is Thaxa.com. And Carla, welcome to the show. And, you know, you talk about performance science. You're so far above my pay grade. So what is it and how does it work? (laughs) And welcome to the show. Thank you, Audrey. Uh, It's great to be here. And I love talking about performance science. And as, as a lead-in, one of the things I love about performance science is so often when we're thinking about like, hey, I want to get better at something or you know, you're leading a team and you have high objectives, high goals is so often the place we go is this idea of like, okay, I guess we just all have to work harder. We need to like, you know, clock out later, come in earlier. And for so many leaders and teams, like this is not feasible anymore. Um, you know, people are always working um, really hard. So one of the things I love about performance science is, it looks at so much beyond just, okay, putting in more effort. Like certainly that is one way to improve your performance. But so this is just as a lead in, one of the things I love about performance science is it's an orthogonal way to look at um, how do we start to improve ourselves, our teams, our performance. Um, So one way to think about it is that performance science is all the different kinds of ideas that feed into what are the results we get? Like when we set a goal and we go after it, um, you know, what are the different levers we have to pull to actually change what happens? So that's just in a broad sense how I think about it. What are some of the components of performance science? Because obviously, since it's a science, obviously, there has to be there has to be measurement. But, uh, you know, what, what are some of the other components of it? 
So I love this idea of breaking it down because again, um, as, as a executive coach, I was always interested in actually using this science with clients and they're there, you know, they don't have time to go be, um, a, a scientist about it, to go dig into all of the literature. And so the way that I break it down for them is to say, well, there's sort of three big buckets. I think the first big bucket is really thinking about um, strategy or one way to say this is what are really the most important things you can do that have the biggest impact towards whatever is the goal or the thing you're trying to make progress towards. So um, not what are all the things you could do, but what are the things that have an outsized impact? Um, I think the second big bucket of performance science is really about that execution piece. So uh, if you've identified some of the important things that need to happen or processes you need to run, um, as human beings, there are ways that we can do those that are more effective or more efficient or just work better for how our brains were built. Uh, and then there are ways that are less good. Like a great, very simple example is anyone who has ever tried to simultaneously be focused on a critical thinking task, like I don't know, some strategic planning or working on a deep problem and simultaneously was like having their email, like ding the alert and go <laughs> yeah. back and forth and check those two things. Perfect example of how our, our brains were not meant to be able to both do deep processing as well as um, interruption at the same time. So, um, so that second bucket again is like execution. And so often we are actually executing through teams, right? It's not just about our own execution, but it's how we get that team to work together. Okay, that was bucket two. Bucket three is, um, I think, about mindset. You could view this as sort of what are the psychological elements that come into play? Um, how is it that teams feel confident or motivated? Um, that secret sauce or that special sauce that creates team magic. And then we've all probably been a part of a team sometime that, was like, oh, we're, we're all just like creating friction right and left. Um, you know, nothing is sinking um, or or we're just not feeling uh, momentum or or motivation. So that's how I, I think about that last bucket, that third bucket, that mindset component. Speaking of that mindset thing, it's like that, that makes me wonder about this. So in sports, when a player is developing uh, you know, like say they're, they're a draft pick and now they're developing to be a better player and everything, or a team is rebuilding. I often hear a phrase like trust the process. You just have to trust the process. And, and, and so I'm thinking about mindset. I'm wondering, it's like, why is that div so difficult for some people to do? <laughs> that is such a great question, Lee. And my first thought, like my first instinct is a lot of the time when people say trust the process, they actually haven't really defined clearly for the players or what the, the team members. Is. What, like, is what is the process? <laughs> I'm supposed to trust this thing, but what is it exactly? And sorry, that was the first thing that, that came into my mind. Um, but I think let's just say, let's like give some benefit of the doubt that a good process was defined and really was communicated uh, to the team. Right. And um, so I think, um, one of the reasons that it is hard to, to trust a process is I think intuitively our brains know like, yeah, but it's the results at the end of the day, right? And I think this is particularly true with sales, right? Sales, I think, is one of the elements of business that is almost the most like sports 
because like mm-hmm. it has a win loss record, right? Like you, you often have really clear metrics. Other elements of business don't always have quite the same um, scorecard that sales can. Um, but so I think one of the things is, is we know that we don't get rewarded for process, right? Like at the, you know, we get sort of rewarded for results. Like the, uh, you know, we can train the best we can train, but on game day, if we don't show up and play better than the other team, like we don't get the trophy. And, um, so I think that might be one thing that can be really challenging about trust the process, but I think the other thing is that um, we're impatient as human beings, and yet a lot of the biggest accomplishments that we can reach are things that come out of compounding, out of building a series of good days, right? Like a good, like a series of days where like you made all your calls, right? Or for example, you did all your outreach Um for sales or, and even as you are waiting for those results to come in, you're like stacking up those days and you know that that's how you're going to get there. But it's a long arc and our brains really love instant gratification. So I think that might be the other piece that's really challenging about trust the process. I I remember reading somewhere uh, that that you were talking about uh, if you take shortcuts because you're just trying to get that result as fast as possible or something like that, you actually shortchange yourself. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, this, this is something I think about a lot because um, I, I often get asked, they're like, everyone wants to know like, hey, what's the latest performance hack? Um, or like, what's that, what's that trick, that thing that you know about, cause you know, you think about performance science and the longer I have been in the field, the more I am convinced. And I see it with my clients that, um, a lot of the work of performance improvement is happening in running the slow process in running the, that, um, the discipline of build a good day. Now build another good day you know, at whatever it is you're training or working for. And, um, and on that note, I think the other interesting thing is we often get distracted looking for a new tool. Like we think like, ah, the new tool will make that easier. And so we constantly, instead of building that good day of just doing the thing, putting in some of that effort, um, we keep looking for a new tool. And so often I think like, we don't need a new tool. What we need is to take any of the good tools we already have and actually start applying them consistently to see if they're working um, and give it some time. Now, if they're not working, great. We might need a different tool, Um, but often we reject a tool not because it wasn't effective, like the habit that the habit wasn't effective. It was just, we didn't apply it consistently or long enough to really see the result. You talk about mental clarity as being one of the tools in the toolbox. So how do you measure it? How do I know if I have it? And if I don't have it, how do I get it? (laughs) Great question. Because I want it. Because I want it. And we want it now. We want it now. And I'm so patient like all those other people. (laughs) Um, This, this is great. So, um, I, a lot of mental clarity and I would just want to distinguish that, I think clarity is a little bit different than certainty. Mm. But so one of the ways when I work with clients on reaching clarity, part of what we do is we spend time on it. And so what I mean by that is there's sort of two big questions. One is 
um, what is it you want to have happen? Right. So that's just one important area to get some clarity to, and in other words, to spend some time thinking about it and to see what resonates with you, see what things maybe you throw out. You're like, no, I'm not interested in that. That's not, that's not the goal. Um, so that's the first theme is thinking about or getting some clarity on what is it I want to have happen or, or what do I want my team to accomplish? Um, so then the second big theme I think is really about given those goals or those things that I think we should be working towards, what are actually the most important priorities that if we invested time and effort in those things would give us the biggest impact towards the goal? And the reason I differentiate between clarity and certainty is because um, most of the time when we have a, a leader and a team, they are working towards something ambitious. Like, there is the chance of failure, like right? Like um, it is rare that we're working towards things um, that have 100% certainty. And so the reason I like to think about clarity is slightly different is when you spend time thinking about what do I want or what does my team want to accomplish? What's most important for getting that? You will almost certainly run into some areas where the answer is, ooh, I don't know. And that's Okay. I, I don't believe we can eliminate um, uncertainty simply by spending time thinking about it. But what having some clarity about even the things we don't know allows us to do is then to say, okay, well, that is probably something worth figuring out. And then to be able to either spend more time then thinking or researching about that question, or even bringing it back to our teams and saying, here's what we know, like, here's what we don't know. And um, either what do we want to do to do some research or learning and how can we best do this as a team or um, even what experiments do we want to run, right? Like there's a lot of stuff that doesn't have a playbook. And so rather than continuing to dig around and read and research and just be stuck in that spot, sometimes we have to say we need to boldly walk into the uncertainty and we should run an experiment. Um, like we're going to be like scientists today <laughs> and- or, you know, or this month or this year. <clears throat> or in so. business, we refer to that as A-B testing, but it's an experiment. It's an experiment. And one of the beautiful things about science, and I, I spent a number of years literally as a, a lab scientist, is that you walk into work every day and you don't know the answer. And that's the whole point. That is why you have a job is there's like something that isn't known and your job is to figure it out. And then even once you figure out that thing, then you move on to the next thing and, um, and no one makes you wrong for it. And so I think this is a, an interesting thing, particularly for leaders, as you are spending time trying to get clarity, um, it doesn't mean you have to answer all the questions, but what it is, is training your brain to think, um, to really think and, um, and not sort of go on autopilot. And that really then helps your team also come with you helps them understand where are we going? What don't we know? What do we know? How can we contribute? Um, and how can we try and do our best to win? Kind of coming back to a sports analogy. How can we do our best to win the trophy uh, together? What kind of tips would you give to a manager then to create an environment, a culture where uh, uncertainty can be embraced or to use your term relish uncertainty? Uh, or, you know, that failure is not necessarily looked down upon, but also treated as part of the process. You know, what can a manager do to, to foster that? 
So uh, I think there's a couple great things. One of the first things, and it, this one might be the hardest, and, and this ties very much into some of the discussions around vulnerability in leadership. Um, but I think one of the, regardless of what one thinks about that, like, I think there is an important thing of being able to show up as a leader and say, listen, we're doing something really challenging. And part of the way we know that it's really challenging is like, I don't know all the answers. Um, and it, as a piece of this, like, I welcome suggestions, ideas, right? Like that as we're trying to figure out how to get where we're going, what's effective, what's most important, um, that if I know something, I will be sharing it, but also like I might not know everything and that is actually okay. Um, so I think that's that's one of the first pieces. But then I think the second piece is not just to stay in the, it's okay to not know. It is okay to not know, but uh, you can't build a successful business if you just stay in the like, Okay, we don't know. <laughs> and we're just going to sit in the I don't know. <laughs> so it's um, hard. Uh, it's hard. I can't yeah, do it. It's hard. I can't do it. Wait, I mean, that's totally okay to say it, but we eventually we have to do something about it. And so then I think the sep the second thing is to help model for your team. So um it is possible that if they are earlier in their careers like mostly what they have been charged with is stuff that is well understood, it's run process a b c d dot the i's cross the t's make sure you check it okay and it's done. Like you're doing a job that other people have done before that is well scoped and well known. And so um some of it will be some modeling about process. Like um how do you set up a good experiment? So for example, you could say, well, let's talk about how we might figure this thing out or, or alpha beta test this thing. So for example, you could model that, hey, we want to do something that we think could have an upside to it. But if we think about what the downside is, it's sort of limited uh, in the sense we can we can limit what might be the negative consequences of if it doesn't work, if we fail at this thing or or if our hypothesis is wrong. Um, I think you can also set people up well by saying, talk to me about how we're going to know, like, let's actually think about measurement or how we assess the results before we actually invest a bunch of resources in running an experiment. Like, let's think ahead. How would what we does success look like? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, what kind of data do we think we're going to get back? What kind of data would actually be useful? How might we get that? Um, so I think that's a piece of it as well. And I guess maybe a third piece is really, it's a little bit on the mindset again. So we just talked about sort of execution wise, how do you run a good experiment? What are some of the conversations you might have? The mindset piece is really um, about how, how to lean into that, like relish uncertainty. And I think one of the pieces is to say, listen, like most of the best opportunities exist in the zone where our chances of like success are definitely like, you know, le less than like 60% or less. <laughs> and just like start to help people wrap their minds around that, that sure, something cannot turn out, but also that's where there's a lot of good stuff um, is in that uncertain zone. Um, I think also it's important to have some mindsets like uh, there's more than one good uh, way to get somewhere. And there's also like more than one good place to get to. So sometimes you run an experiment. It doesn't work the way you thought it would, but you actually learn something that directs you to say, hey, we thought we were supposed to be going over here, but this experiment tells us 
maybe we should actually be pursuing this customer group or working on this thing differently. And you never know when those important insights are going to come, but you do have to just be paying attention and not be so narrow to think, ah, it just Mm -hmm. didn't work. We failed. We're done. We've got just a few minutes left. I have one last question that I'm interested in. So Lee is my mentor and his brain is very different in the way it processes information from mine. I'm very linear thinker relying you, the physician, you know, the sort of, I, I, for lack of a better term, bucket types of brains and how they function. He knows your how, pain. Is that what you're yes, trying to no, say? How do you, so you've got a team of 10 people and you want high performance. And so uh, the way I get from point A to point B is different than the way Lee does. Like we, mm-hmm. how do you get all the oars rowing in the same direction when you have so many different types of brain types out there and what tips do you have for managers in regard to that? Mm-hmm. Because all of this, I feel like yeah. is also, you have to acknowledge that people are different. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what a, what a great question. And, um, you know, it, it, your point about like, okay, like there are milestones we need to hit together. And so my first thought is rather than thinking that the, how, like the exact process has to look identical for each person, one of the first most important things could be to say, okay, where, where are the destinations we need to arrive together mm-hmm. and, and sort of map out what those things are. And so they have some space in between them. And then I think um, what you can say is to just look at it and say, all right, so is it, are, are there people who do need to coordinate? That might be a worthwhile question to ask. And certainly um, if the people who need to coordinate have a more similar style and you can set it up that way, that might be worth doing. Um, you know, sometimes there are benefits to setting up people with different styles as sort of a like double check, it kind That's of, it, they tip. check each yeah. other. So mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say is either one could work, but then in between those destinations, I think it's worth having a conversation with folks to ask like, Hey, how are you envisioning getting or delivering, like make clear what, what is their part, what they need to deliver from here to here? What does that look like for you? What would, what do you think your process would be? And so for some people, it might be, I break it down into the steps. I do step A, B, C, D. For the other person, it might be, well, I brainstorm on it. I sort of loop around it a little bit. Me, yeah, like I spirograph on it. This is what I call it. Oh, spirograph. I, I love spirograph. that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, okay. Yeah. It's a great analogy, right? Like y- you look like you're just drawing a circle, but actually you're kind of incrementally improving <laughs> yes. and moving forward. And then they're like, and then I kind of pull it all together at the last minute. And, you know, you could ask some questions to say, all right, can we check in three, like three days before the last minute to say, how are you feeling? Even though you're, you know, you haven't pulled it all together yet. Um, but can we have a check-in just to like talk out loud, right? That kind of person might okay. be better sort of just verbalizing versus giving you this perfect linear written document. And you'll get a sense of how close are they to. So that's getting a little tactical, but I think I love these it. are. But yeah, that's great. Because the spirograph <laughs> brain bucket is it's going different. to make the linear brain bucket people go crazy. I was more of a light bright guy myself, actually. So. Oh, these are such, I mean, these are the great toys of like the 80s and 90s. I know, we're dating ourselves. Oh, well, listen, <laughs> listen um, Carla, tell us about, you know, Thaxa and how you want people to reach out to you. And that's an interesting company name. What does it mean, Thaxa? Where'd you come up with that name? So Thaxa, it, it, the word is uh, linked to the Latin word for a task. And ah, I picked it that- because for me, like, I think since... 
probably like fifth grade is the earliest I can remember thinking about performance as a, as a concept. And, um, for me, like there were a lot of challenging things that I ended up doing during like middle school, but it, it just intuitively made sense to me that you break them down. You don't try and do anything challenging all at once. And so at that point in my life, it was like the key to performance is, can you identify the right things, sequence them, figure out how to get yourself to do that one thing. And then the next thing, and that was how you built towards right. things that were really um, incredible or big or hard to conceptualize. Um, so that's why I named my firm Thaxa, because I think one of the roles of coach is actually to help other people do that and to see how to p- sort of break their performance down into what are the areas that if they improved them, if they um, made progress, that would really synergize and help them do the incredible things they want to go do. So. That's, um, that's my firm. <laughs> Interesting. Yes. Go and, ahead. Um, oh, well, and, and the best way to connect or reach out. Um, so I am on LinkedIn. Um, that's a great mm-hmm. place to follow me. I'm at Carla dash Fowler. And, um, if you want to connect, uh, that'd be great. Just make sure to send me a message. So I know like where you ran into me or listen to this. And then, um, I am also on Twitter. So that's another spot. And, um, my website is thaxa.com. T-H-A-X-A. There's lots of great info there just about coaching my process. um, And you can also message me through the site if that's a conversation you'd like to have some more of. That's great. There's a good FAQ on that website. So that was very interesting when I went and read it. So this has been great. Thank you so much, Carla. That's good tips and uh, hopefully, um, you know, good food for thought for people to break things down into little pieces and to say, I don't know is a good thing. Mostly. Awesome. (laughs) Thank you, Lee and Audrey. Great to have you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.